Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 367 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, I'm joined by Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, how are things going in your neighborhood? Uh, things are good here. We recorded yesterday, so not a whole lot has changed in, in Duke world or in my world, really, since the last time I saw both of you. Yes, yes. Even though folks will probably, I'm betting, they'll end up listening to this, you know, tomorrow. We're recording Sunday morning. They'll probably end up listening to this on Monday, just in terms of when we're getting it out. Yes, we, we recorded yesterday because there was big news. Um, we had uh, a, a new member of the, the Brotherhood committed, Mark Mitchell, and Mike Elko, a new coach of the Duke football team. Too much news for us to wait. Uh, but uh, Donald, by the way, I haven't welcomed you in. How have you been doing the past 24 hours, my friend? <laughs> I've been doing great. Uh, I just want to point out today is December 12th, and I just want to wish a very happy third birthday to my godson, Ethan. It is his birthday today. Uh, after we are recording here, I will go and celebrate with him uh, for like the third time, because when you're three, you get like 87 parties. Uh, but happy birthday to my godson, Ethan. And hopefully three is the year that we get to take you to Cameron. I'm very desperately working on getting you down there to see the goat before he walks off into the sunset. What does one do for a third birthday party? Lots of cars, lots of construction. He loves the Ooh. construction rigs. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, he, he obviously can't listen to this. So Bob, Bob, I will wait, tell wait, you guys. Bob I the got builder? Him. Donald, Bob the Builder? No, no, no. Just like no, little, just like insights. actual rigs, like actual construction rigs, my, bulldozers. My brother and I, my, my older brother and I were so into that. Like you could have just, brought us to a construction site and let us watch construction happening like all day literally so, during the you... pandemic during the pandemic we we had construction going on everywhere because there were no cars on the road so literally for like activity times outside safe distance we would take him to the park by my place because we could walk around the neighborhood and he can look at all the construction equipment that was just lining the street sam Amazing. i'm gonna go ahead and say that a three-year-old wandering around a construction site probably not the safest activity out there no no not no, no not in site the, not in the site yeah. we'll talk on the street on the sidewalk like we we our streets are destroyed because they were trying to clean them up and they're the fine but all the construction rigs are still there so he likes to he likes to look up close we can't touch but he can look up close the dbr yeah, podcast where dbr podcast where you come for advice about staging birthdays for three-year-olds we, we we just know it's yes. a this is a, a core need of our audience. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, actually, what our audience really needs to know is what we're going to be talking about on, on this, uh, this edition. We're going to give you a, a little exam break uh, primer, so to speak. What, what the Blue Devils, we think, we hope, we expect, have been working on, what we hope, really, they've been working on over the exam break. What Duke needed to do to get better, uh, because it's mid-December and Duke hasn't played a single game this month. <laughs> uh and so uh we, we've got we've got some sound coming up from nolan smith um uh, assistant coach nolan smith and we'll be chatting a little bit about what we think duke has been working on and should be working on to to get the team uh even in, in a, a better position even though there there are scenarios where duke is number one <laughs> again on monday uh but probably not but anyway uh and the other thing we're going to do for you folks is we're going to be previewing uh duke has some uh, some, you know, sort of our final pre-ACC season games coming up. We're going to specifically be previewing the game coming up this week against South Carolina State. We'll get to all of that in a minute. But guys, like I said, first of all, what does Duke need to work on? And 
you know, before we get into our own kind of stuff, let's hear from Nolan. Nolan Smith did a media availability just a couple days ago. And uh, I, I was on the call uh, and it was very clear that, that Nolan and the team have identified a very, very specific thing that they think needs to get better. Uh, I'm going to let you listen. Uh, th this is first a, a question by Steve Wiseman and then a follow-up by Brendan Marks, friend of the podcast uh, and a wonderful writer for The Athletic. Uh, you, you will hear Nolan in both of these questions talk about a very specific aspect of the way Duke plays offense. Have a listen. Yeah, Nolan, hey, um, I, I wanted to uh, follow up on the thing about the offense, in particular half-court offense. Um, you said that, uh, you know, maybe better passing. Is that kind of the, the area where you're looking at? I mean, obviously, the last thing we saw was the second half at Ohio State, uh, which didn't leave anybody with a good taste in their mouth going into this break. Yep. Uh, absolutely. You know, and, and that's really the game that we all sat down and watched together. And obviously, in the second half, we saw a lot of really the whole game, we saw a lot of things that we didn't like offensively, um, whether it was movement and just standing and watching each other with the ball or whether it was missed kicks. There was a lot of missed kicks where obviously a lot of teams going into each game is going to say, hey, we have to make Duke make shots. You know, but if we make, make the right kicks and our shots are wide open, we know that we have guys that should be shooting close to 40% from three, but it has to be connected shots where it's, 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 it's a team shot, not individually. So just focus on that during this time has been a huge point of emphasis for, for our guys. Brandon Marks. Hey, Nolan. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on the three-point shooting as well. Um, you know, that maybe is the only notable, noticeable offensive weakness you guys have had so far. Is, is it a matter just of better spacing? Is it shot selection? And can you sort of walk us through the process of how you try and help the guys understand that and what is, you know, maybe passing up a good shot for a great one? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that's just really a lot of film work, you know, for me working with the guards, um, showing our guards how we can get better shots. And then when we are getting those shots, are we connected on them? A lot of that's communication. A lot of that's making the right plays, making the right pass, you know, taking tough twos or taking a wide open three, which one is the better shot? You know, we feel like all of our guards can get their own shot, but is that the best shot? You know, so just really focus on scoring together. Um, very often, Coach Shire and I, we try not to talk about our 2010 time and our playing days. You know, we're retired now, but I actually mentioned that to them. I was like, in 2010, Shire, same with myself, we scored together, <laughs> all three of us. You know, one drill penetration kick. We have, we have a good core of guards that can be exactly like that, but they have to see that. They have to know that they need each other to score, and just going one-on-one -on -one is not going to get it versus a really good defensive team. And as we get into conference, we're going to play against a lot of really good defensive teams. They're going to scout us. They're going to know our, our faults. They're going to know how they can beat us, what they're going to try to do to, to beat us. But we can't beat ourselves. So if they're typically going to force us to kick, that should be something that we're really good at. So let's kick the ball. So I think, guys, the key word that we heard in there was this, kick. Duke needs to be better at kicking the ball. When we penetrate, Nolan says we're not looking for the open man. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but oh boy, Trevor Keels needs to work on this in a big, big way. <laughs> in the wake, by the way, in the wake of that press conference, Brendan Marks did a column for The Athletic uh, where he's talked specifically about Trevor Keels kicking the ball when he, when he penetrates into the lane. 
when, you know, when Duke sets a screen for him and, and the, the defense is switching and, and making adjustments. Uh, and, and there's some amazing photos that Brendan Marks posted to show folks how Trevor Keels is taking contested shots instead of looking for the open man. Uh, it's really striking. If you have a chance, if you have an athletic subscription, if you're done with an athletic subscription, get one because it's worth it. Every penny of it. It's a really, they, they do a great, great job of coverage. Uh, but Brendan Marks, I think, did a great job of breaking it down. Uh, Donald, I'll come to you first. Uh, based on what you heard from Nolan there, other stuff, what do you think What do you think Duke needs to do to get better? Well, it's funny. When, I, when we discussed the Ohio State preview before that game, I mentioned that there is a play that they like to do that has a, you know, a point guard at the top and four guys across the high you know, wing area. And they do kind of a bot, like a weave around the three-point line to try and come down and then the idea is either to go in for the layup or like you said Jason to kick out to a wing or to a guy in the corner for a three-pointer I told everybody that that was something that they needed to focus on because a lot of times they lose sight of the people on the wing or the facts that the wings aren't shifting enough so that they're in the sight of the person trying to drive with the ball that didn't happen against Ohio State obviously it is one of the things that uh, that Brendan Marks actually focused on in his article that you were just mentioning, Jason. So I think the kick thing is one that we used to do quite a bit, but it's all about shifting. One, the guys that are on the wing and in the corner just have to shift so that they're always within sight of the ball, that there's always a passing angle for them. The second thing is the person who has that, has that ball, who is driving, has to recognize that there is multiple options for him to do. He doesn't just have to shoot it. He doesn't just have to try and lay it in or, or tomahawk it over someone. He can pass off to a guy that's slashing in from the wing like a Mark Williams or a Paolo Bancaro, or he could kick out to the wing or to the corner where there's somebody there to shoot the three. We just have to be cognizant of that. And it sounds like Nolan Smith and the rest of the coaching staff were working on that over the break to say, hey, look, when you're, on, when you're in this position, know that here are your angles that you need to be watching out for uh, because they didn't do that well against Ohio State, especially in that second half where Ohio State was able to creep back into the game and then eventually win it. When they talk about court vision, this is exactly what, what they mean, right? It's, it's the ability to keep your eyes up and moving around as you're getting closer to the basket, which Trevor Keels a lot of times is initiating offense. When, you know, we, when we say initiating offense, like he's got the ball a lot at the top of the key where he has an option to pass side to side, to dribble side to side, to, to pass down low. And we have multiple options for scoring down low. And, and as you're driving, figuring out, okay, where else can I, can I go with the ball? This is something that, that he may not have. I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of the Paul VI lineup that he played on uh, his last few years in high school, other than the fact that he was with Jeremy Roach, who also was a perimeter player. I don't know how much he was expected to get to the free throw line and look around and try to find outlet passes because a lot of times the best scoring option was probably him continuing to have the ball in his hands. And as Brendan Marks explains in his article, there are, there are a lot of options for Duke and, and defenses right now know that they can crash on Trevor Keels because he's not making, he's not necessarily making those passes. It's definitely something you work on. It's definitely something that takes time to develop, not just personally, but also as a team because the other guys on the team have to be able to react to, okay, we know that whether it's Keels or Paulo Bancaro or Wendell Moore, we know what spots they get to before they look around. And this is just the kind of development that they need that you don't necessarily get during the preseason. You don't 
until you start playing games together and you really get to see how everybody reacts once, you know, once there's an opponent uh, on the other side of the court, as opposed to just the guys on your team. It's called the triple threat, right? Like every single time when you're a five-year-old in basketball, you learn about the triple threat. You always want to be in a position to shoot, pass, and dribble. Not one of the three, all three. But when it comes to this particular play where they're driving down the lane, it has to be more than three options. They can't just lean on the shooting part. They have to also lean on the passing part. And that's where the two wings on either side, as well as the corners come into play. They have to be able to see that when they're in that triple threat position. By the way, I'm glad that this is what Nolan said they're working on most, because I think this is the thing that the three of us have been talking about a lot, maybe not in such specific terms, but we've sort of highlighted that in a weird way, the defense is ahead of the offense at this point in the season, which is usually not the case for a young team, but that is the case here because of so much individual talent on the defensive end. It's the offense where they're not making the right passes. They're not initiating for each other or facilitating for each other. We've noted that, uh, you know, overall assists are not high on this team. And it's good to see that, that Nolan Smith agrees, I guess, with the, with the assessment that we've had early in the season of how the team is progressing. Guys, you know, Duke has the makeup to be a super efficient team on offense and defense. You know, we are second best in the country right now. Number two at turnover percentage. We have no wasted possessions. Duke is getting a ton of shots. Um, and, and on the other side of the floor, we're great at not giving up easy points. We lead the country. Number one, best team in the land at opponent points off free throws. And that's because we, we fe- we're, we're second best in the country at, at, at free throws as a percent of, uh, of field goal attempts. And on our free throw percentage defense, is insane. I, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Duke's opponents are hitting 57 and a half percent of their free throws. That, by the way, that's not sustainable. What There's, is? Yeah, I was going to say, what is there a skill in that? I don't think so. It's it's uh, crazy. We have an imaginary mean, person who's standing right in front of the person as he's shooting his free throw. You can't see him, but he's there and he's and he's doing great defense. So may far I? This may I? May I offer one theory as to why this might be sustainable? which is that Duke doesn't foul much, but when Duke fouls, they really make it count. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Like, but, like if, you, but, if you were running into Trevor Keels or Wendell Moore or Mark Williams, man, I, or Theo John, I, I imagine that it takes a few seconds to sort of recover and, and, and get yourself back in. But I don't think that that's actually sustainable. No, no. But, but the bottom line is we still are really, really good at not fouling very much. So you would think we have the makings of a team that should be super great from an efficiency standpoint. Like I said, I mean, the fact that we're second in the country at turnover percentage playing at the pace that we play is, is really shocking. And it's, uh, it's a great, great thing from this team. So why aren't we higher, especially in offensive efficiency? It's because of our three point percentage. We only hit 32.8% of our threes. We're barely among the top 200 teams in the country. Uh, again, Duke, one of the best teams in the land, is barely among the top 200 teams in the country at shooting threes. And, and, and then the other side of that is we take too many inefficient shots. Trevor Keels shoots almost between two and three, almost three you know, mid-long-range twos per game. Paulo Bancaro takes five to six of those per game. Trevor Keels is only hitting 30% of them. Paulo is only hitting 42% of them. Uh, those are super inefficient shots. And most of them are contested, 
not like wide open jumpers off kicks and things like that. So like Wendell Moore takes a pretty fair number of mid-range shots, but they're almost always wide open. So as a result, Wendell hits almost 62% of his mid-range shots. Look, you can take a, a you can take a mid-range jumper if you're going to hit better than 60% of it. The problem is we've got Trevor Keels and Paulo Bancaro taking those shots and hitting, you know, less than 40% of them. And, and it's something we've just, we've got to work on not taking those inefficient shots and looking for ways of getting more wide open threes. This team is capable of hitting much better than 32.8% of our three-pointers. I talked at some point in recent weeks about how Paulo Bancaro is really advanced offensively and reminds me a bit of Jabari Parker when he was at Duke, another guy who I think the team felt comfortable taking the long two generally speaking, you're not looking for that shot. Um, even if it's, I like Paulo who is, you know, bigger than most other players, uh, and, and can get that shot off Trevor Keels, who is not, but even, even Paulo Bancaro, you're not encouraging him to take that shot. It's a last resort. You, you shouldn't be taking a 17 footer unless there's three seconds left on the shot clock and everybody is guarded. Um, not, not when there's 15 seconds left and guys are waiting in the corners and, and Mark Williams is still, you know, getting position and, and might be momentarily finding it against, against the opponent. It's the Cal Singler too. It, it's something that Cal Singler was very good at uh, back in the day when he was playing. And right now, a lot of our guys are passing up open threes for the contested Cal Singler too. And Cal Singler was great at it, but he also was very much uncontested when he took a lot of those two point shots. Now there is a little bit more room because the three point line has been extended since then. These guys have to figure out that that open three might be a better shot metrically or, or, or just by the eye test than driving, doing that dribble into the lane and then taking a contested two-pointer from about 18 feet out. You might as well just go ahead and shoot the open three. And maybe we, that means we take more threes, but that means our percentage may go up a little bit because we're going to start making some more of those as the season goes along. Yeah, I, I, I don't think based on based on what i've seen from this team i don't think duke can win a national title shooting less than 33% from 3 it's just really really hard to do that uh, guys i got a question for both of you before we get off of this topic was the kentucky game was trevor keel's success in the kentucky game maybe a bad thing <laughs> because it gave him confidence to do things that he may not be super equipped to do and and by that i mean this so he was Nine of 14 on two-point shots against Kentucky. He, you know, got to the rim with ease, but he even hit his mid-range jumpers. Uh, he hit better than 50% of his mid-range jumpers. He has yet to hit better than 50% of his mid-range jumpers since then, and he's still taking a lot of them. Uh, you know, just against Ohio State, he was two of eight on, on two-point shots. Oh, of four on mid-range jumpers. Did he have too much success too quickly, and then it maybe trick him? You know, Sam, what do you think? Absolutely. I, I, I think that, that that kind of outcome, especially against a team that is, you know, like a, a team like Kentucky is like the perfect uh, opponent to have this effect happen against, right? It's, it's a big national brand. It was, it was the, the highlight early in the season, sort of, you know, the, the Duke Gonzaga game was, was more hyped, but, but as far as like opening night of college basketball, it was Duke versus Kentucky in the garden, like as much hype as you could put on that game. And he was the star of that game. And, and it's worth noting, I'm not sure we're going to play a, a team that has smaller, you know, less physical guards than, 
than Kentucky because because they're right. They're right. Two- so the so the matchup the matchup was perfect. I remember I, I can't remember if I've if I've told this story on the show before, but my freshman year at Duke. And by the way, if you were at school with me and you remember who this person is, you should email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com to confirm his identity. But my freshman year, uh, my friends and I. Uh, who lived in in Bassett dormitory we'd go play basketball almost every night uh, in the east coast in the east campus gym and we had one classmate who i won't name but i do i do want to know if anyone remembers this who was he was very athletic he wasn't very big he's probably like five six five seven uh and he but he's really athletic and he was he had the ability to drive to the hole uh pretty much anytime he wanted but he was very bad at actually hitting the shot so like he could get to the basket with ease and he maybe made 10% of these wild layups that he would attempt. But every time he made one, I would think to myself, shoot, now he's going to do this every single time. Like he's going to keep, he's going to keep doing it. And it's so <laughs> annoying because he's so talented, except in this one aspect of his game. So if you remember who this person is, please email me. He, uh, he now as a, he's now like a very successful person. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but uh, that's exactly what Trevor Keels reminds me of here, where it's like, oh, I hate that you like made this contested 18 footer. Now you're going to take more contested 18 footers or like, I hate that you just barreled straight to the basket and and made the shot because th- this is just not a repeatable strategy. I think what you just said actually just feels into my pushback of this and saying that this this is exactly what he was going to do because he feels this is a part of his game, Right. The guy who takes wild shots, like I, I used to take 40 footers every single game, just off, off the rip, one step inside half court, I'd hit one. And after that, people go, oh, wow, now I got it. Now I have to think about it every single time. And that's what he's trying to do because his game is it's not necessarily to be efficient. Steph Curry. You're, right. It's, it's you're, more you're to make you Steph think Curry of your, of your pickup league. <laughs> oh, I was absolutely way before. This is way before Steph Curry. I, I was the Donald Wine. Steph Curry was the Donald Wine of college basketball. That's how this was. Um, but really what it means is that this was part of his game. Game one, you're not going with what the offense takes you or what the defense shows you or anything like that. You're trying to showcase your game, but also you're going with what's comfortable. And especially as a freshman, you're growing with what got you there, which means that this part of his game was already a part of his game before he got here. So he wanted to make sure that, that yes, I can still do this in college. Did it give him some extra confidence? Absolutely, because it's always it's going to happen. Like, it does not matter if he went zero for 14. He still was going to be confident enough. If you're a shooter, what's the, what's the important mantra? Shoot or shoot. If, you, if you're having a slump, the best way to get out of a slump is to keep shooting. I think they're probably encouraging him to be more efficient with his shot, but to still maintain his game and make it so that he doesn't evolve it. Like, immediately, he's taking it to the next level and being in college and what he has to do is just focus on the efficiency part of things. This will be something that we are going to be working on all season. This is not a November or December problem. This is something that hopefully will be fixed by the time we get to March. Yeah. And I want to be clear. It may feel like we're dumping on Trevor Keels. That's not the case. It's that kid has, you know, unbelievable potential and, and we've seen how great he can be. We just want him to be, I think a little bit smarter um, about you know some of the shots he's taking, uh, I I'll think everyone the, the, right like the whole team. I was like, yeah. efficiency is a big deal. I was I was very excited after the Kentucky game about his performance, and it didn't even occur to me that this was a potential outcome from it. So I, I'm with Donald on. I hope that 
I hope that this is an efficient part of his game and I'm very much rooting for it to work for him because I, I love watching him play. There are Duke has had a lot of really interesting, talented players come through the program the last few years. I don't know that Duke has had anyone exactly like Trevor Keels. Like he, among all of the interesting talents, physicality, yeah. RJ Barrett and Brandon Ingram, all these interesting guys. Duke has not had a guy like Trevor Keels before. Like if, if Trevor Keels is like, if, if Grayson Allen was like much, much thicker, you know, and, and, <laughs> and somehow like more confident, that's that. I think that's where Trevor Keels ceiling is. Yeah. I, and I'm not dumping on him because I honestly just think he's in a slump. I mean, if you remember the beginning of the season, we weren't, just talking about the fact that he was really good at two pointers. He was what eight of 11 for his first three pointers. And people were like, Oh, he might be the best three point shooter we have on the team. That has, you know, regressed to the mean a little bit, but it's because there's going to be moments during the season that everyone gets into a slump. Paul Bencaro is going to have a slump. Mark Williams is going to have a slump. We just hope that it's not at a, you know, critical time of the year or all in the what in the same game, you want it to be where everyone goes through these slumps and every and these guys are going to figure out a way to work themselves out of it. When shooters get into a slump, they will shoot the ball. They will do the same shots they will do. They will go to the line. They will do everything that they know to do because eventually those shots will start falling in and that's where you gain the confidence to keep shooting. Duke put out a video the other day commemorating uh, whatever anniversary it was of the JJ Redick versus Texas game. And we were reminded in MSG. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we were reminded that despite JJ scoring 41 points in that game, he missed his first two shots. So yeah, that, uh, that was actually in the Meadowlands, I believe that game. Oh, you maybe you're Um, right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was like the, it was like one of the last games I remember in the old Meadowlands, like before Prudential center opened. but yeah, that was, I I still remember betting my brother in that game. I, I I won that bet. It was a good one. That was that game is a great memory. But by the way, so uh, so we're done talking about what we think Duke's been working on over the exam break. It's worth noting that hopefully they've been working on exams. We should, you know, in the next few days, we will probably find out. Hopefully, this is a uneventful uh, time for Duke. But but if guys who get in trouble on their grades, this is when you find out about it. Again, it is very much our hope that there won't be any news there. And then the other thing to mention, really really fast before we go away, is hopefully they've been working on AJ Griffin who, you know, is finally healthy and, and hasn't been integrated into the team in the way we, we really had hoped and, and expected. And this was a prolonged break where hopefully he's been able to, to get involved with the team a little bit more. Nolan Smith was asked in that press conference about A.J. Griffin specifically, and Nolan said, I, I, we're not going to tee up the audio for it, but Nolan basically said that we've got a seven-man rotation right now. If A.J. Griffin gets to the level that, that the coaching staff expects him to, it's an eight man rotation and that, that there is, there is space for him. I think that the nice thing here is that AJ can kind of sub in for a lot of different guys. It feels like the, the roster is pretty malleable. You know, if he's subbing in for Wendell Moore, if he's subbing in for Trevor Keels, if he's tr- subbing in for Paulo Bancaro, uh, there, there are a lot of spots for him to plug into this roster. So it's, it's a rotation spot for him to lose or for him to just not gain. Uh, and I don't think it, n- it, I don't think it meaningly, meaningfully hurts any of the other guys in the rotation if all of a sudden AJ is able to contribute 20 really productive minutes a night. And he could sub in for Jeremy Roach with the amount of ball handers we have on this Absolutely. team. Having him out of the game doesn't necessarily detract a little bit because we still have three more ball handlers on the court with AJ in the game. All right, so guys, we've talked about all the things we hope and expect 
that Duke has been working on. Our first chance to see if any of those things have changed, if any of those things have evolved, will be coming up this week on Tuesday against South Carolina State, a preview of what to expect in that game coming up right after the break. All right, so we're back, and it's time to look ahead to Duke's next game on Tuesday. They play the South Carolina State Bulldogs. Uh, gentlemen, this is the worst team that Duke's going to play all year. <laughs> I don't know how to say that other than that. This team is 345 in Ken Palm. I believe there are 357 teams in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. They're 345th. Wow. Uh, so let's get to a little bit of a preview. Uh, Sam, I tell you what. Why don't you tell me what you know about South Carolina State? Man, South Carolina State does not have much of a chance against Duke on Tuesday. I like, I, I somewhat bemoan. Right. You don't want to disrespect them, but. No, no, <laughs> I, 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 I don't. But like, I mean, look at the, <laughs> look at, look at their numbers here. Um, they've got the 340th, 341st best offense and the 338th best defense according to Ken Palm, it's not even like they do something really, really well that that is going to offset this. Um, I guess they they do take a lot of free throws. Um, that's that's good for them. So they, so they are drawing contact. Um, they've got a pretty good offensive rebounder in in Daquan Williams. Um, he's he's got a very strong offensive rebounding rate. But otherwise, there's just not there's not a lot of talent on the roster uh, that that makes you think that there's that there's a guy there, there's no there's no Eric Maynor on this team that's going to that's going to you know take over uh, the game and, and upset Duke. So um, I, I again I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like it's that foregone of a conclusion, but there is something to be said for look. It's nice that that Duke is scheduling teams from um, you know from some of the the HBCU conferences that they're uh, bringing them to Durham and that it's not just NC Central that gets to do this. Um, but I I do. I do really wish that, that Duke would be scheduling uh, games against opponents who are likely or, or in the hunt conferences, which I don't think South Carolina state is. So this is actually going to be a conversation than the one that we're going to have this week as Duke tees up uh, games against Appalachian state and Cleveland state who also aren't ranked very highly. They're like in the mid hundreds in Ken Palm, but these are at least the, the Stephen F Austin type of teams that that come into Cameron thinking like, all right, we can we can do all the right things here and potentially uh, knock off a, a really strong Duke team. I don't think South Carolina State has that capability. Yeah, and let me give you a couple efficiency things to to understand how much this team struggles. They 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 hit exactly a third of their threes, which is you know it's okay, it's not great. It's kind of what Duke does though. Yeah, so <laughs> right. Maybe this is a this is going to be a brick fest. Yeah, um, but they're one of the worst two point shooting teams in all of the country. They only hit 40.7% of their two-point shots. That is really, really bad. By comparison, by the way, Duke hits 55% of their two-point shots. Uh, and, and, and look, we just, we just came off complaining. The three of us complained about the fact that Duke takes some pretty inefficient two-point shots. We still hit 55% overall, and they only hit 40% of their two-point shots. Uh, they're pretty good at not turning the ball over. And like, like Sam said, they get to the free throw line, but, but on defense, they give up too many offensive rebounds and they foul a lot. They put their opponent at the line a lot. Um, I, I, I want to note that they have played one other power six opponents. They played UGA, 
Bulldogs versus Bulldogs. It was actually a reasonably competitive game. Georgia was only leading that game by five points without 12 minutes to go. Now, Georgia is not a top team in the SEC, but they are a legitimate SEC team. And it was a reasonably competitive game into the second half. The, the, the Bulldogs ended up, uh, sorry, the Georgia Bulldogs <laughs> ended up winning it by about six by 16 points. They pulled away late, but you know, maybe that's a sign that South Carolina state is capable of playing with a power six opponent. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, and it is worth noting two other real quick things worth noting. One is this game begins a gauntlet for them. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this. They play five games in eight days, starting with this Duke game. They play on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, five games in eight days that is running up to Christmas. That is murder for a team. Um, I wish we were in the middle or the back end of that, but we're not. But the other thing to note, we always pay attention to this teams where Duke can score hundred points. South Carolina State, in addition to being bad on offense and defense, they play at a really fast pace. They're the 20th fastest. Again, the 20th fastest team in all of Division I. They shoot the ball really fast on offense. And that is a formula, <laughs> I think, for Duke to get over the 100-point mark. For getting blown out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's for getting blown out, but also for Duke to get over the 100-point mark. Which one of us has two on the 100-point thing? I think I only had one. Let me let me go back and, and open it up while while Donald gives his preview. Go ahead, Donald. Yeah, well, I you know, I think this is obviously a prime opportunity, but I wouldn't I'm not going to ink it because they've only allowed 100 points once this year with all of that you just spoke about. And that was 106 points to Charleston. I will note they have played another set of Bulldogs other than Georgia. They played the Citadel. Um, they lost by 12 in overtime, which, uh, as all of you out there know, is very, very hard to do. Uh, they also play the Citadel at the tail end of this uh, murderer's row gauntlet that Jason just described. So uh, the thing about this team that I want to stress to folks out there is despite the fact that they're not good, I think Jason gave some reasons why we should make sure that we don't overlook them. Because like I said, they, they did play Georgia fairly well, played them pretty tough. They may have lost. They played them pretty tough. They played the Citadel pretty tough. And the Citadel is not, a, as we know, we did beat them pretty well, but they were a team that hung in there for quite a bit. So the problem is the Cameron lights. You bring someone into Cameron, their, their game elevates up to a level that they may not understand. It just so happens that most of the time, you know, 80, 90% of the time, it is less than that of Dukes, right? So we still have to make sure that we, in this three-game stretch of which the last two teams are much better than this one that we're going to face on Tuesday night. We still have to make sure that these guys focus in and zero in on some of the things that we just talked about before the break, all those things that they were working on over the break and, and, de and deploy them against South Carolina state to see how they work and, and make sure that they can get out of this game running away so they can put their focus towards the other two games. By the way, wanted to highlight that South Carolina state's head coach is a guy that uh, maybe uh, middle-aged basketball fans will remember he uh, it's Tony Madlock who played at Memphis in the early nineties and was on uh, the uh, Memphis squad that made the elite eight in 1992. So that's uh, it's pretty cool. He's he, and he was an assistant at Memphis under Penny Hardaway the last few years before moving over to South Carolina state this spring. And his son is, uh, who is also a, a Tony, I think he's a TJ Madlock uh, is the, is a freshman on the team. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool for them. Um, not sure if Jason would be the one, I guess, that would, that would potentially remember him as being on, uh, being one of these old Memphis players, but, um, but, but a, a cool old basketball name. 
Yeah, I vaguely remember him. Not not super well. By the way, speaking of Memphis, boy, that team is in a swoon. Remember when everyone was saying Memphis was was going to be this great team this year? They've lost four in a row. It's uh, it's been been rough for Penny past few past few. Uh, games. Going back to the stats game very quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I uh, so so this is a big. It's a big event for. Th- this game is big for the hundred point uh, game contest. Jason had one. Donald and I both had two. And Duke's got one so far. So uh, and I'm this not is, feeling I good. This is, this is the best opportunity, as I think, points. Now, that being said, uh, I'm looking at the rest of my predictions. And, uh, man, I am going to get rocked this year in the, uh, <laughs> in the stats game. I said that Trevor Keels was not going to start nine games this season. Uh, I'm not sure Trevor Keels is ever not going to start a game this season. Uh, I said that nine I had the high on that. Didn't I have the high on that? I, I basically said Keels was going to start virtually every game, right? Yeah. Although you like, said that he's, he's not going to start three games. And I think you basically were like, maybe he'll get hurt. Um, yeah. but otherwise he's starting the one, the one where I'm feeling really stupid right now. I said that nine ACC teams were going to make the NCAA tournament Ooh. and, uh, and, uh, maybe five, I, maybe I not, five. I am not right on that. That, that, uh, the, the one thing that's helping the ACC is one, uh, Notre Dame won last night. Uh, and the second thing is that the Pac-12 is beyond terrible, like even worse than they predicted. And they're predicting that maybe they might be a two-bid, maybe three-bid conference, which will help wow. the ACC considerably. I, I, think, I think those extra bids are going to the SEC. They're going to the Big 12. And they're going to mid-majors. There are some mid-majors that are going to do way better this year. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, they, the, the, I think that I think in, in aggregate, the transfer portal ends up democratizing the, the sport a lot more because guys who are good, not great can very quickly leave programs and just go be stars at Dayton or, you know, insert your mid-major of preference here. Uh, so that that's a lot of the, the, the upside is in, in NCAA tournament picks. And honestly, the Gonzaga effect. I mean, Gonzaga's probably forcing people to look more at mid-majors uh, as we go along because Gonzaga can, you know, they've proven they can play with the best in the war- in the, in the country. And now people are like, oh, who's the next Gonzaga? Some of these teams out here who are picking off uh, some of these, you know, Power 5 teams, they're taking a closer look at them than they would in, in previous years. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for us, I think, here on episode 367 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Guys, we almost got into a little ACC preview there. That's coming up, people. I promise you. We're going to be previewing the entire ACC. we got other Duke games to preview that are coming up this week. Uh, and, and, of course, we're going to recap the South Carolina State game. And if there's breaking news, you never know. We're going to hire a new football coach or get a new member of the Brotherhood. Hey, things can happen, and then we, we bring it to you. But uh, uh, until those things do happen, um, we're going to say goodbye on this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, Sam said it earlier. We want to hear from you. Please email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. As we have said many times, we promise we will respond to every single email we get. I can't promise if you write us a, a, a long letter that we're going to respond. Two topics. Wait, yeah. two topics that I want to specifically highlight for emailing us. One, yes. if you email us about, we've gotten a few of these in recent days, and I appreciate that we get them, which is if it's your first trip to Cameron and you want to know where to go and what to do. We get a lot of them. <laughs> we get, we get a few of those emails and, and I appreciate that, that we have some of that knowledge. You're actually better served looking at the DBR forum post about this because there are all kinds of recommendations in there from lots of people who regularly attend Duke games, which none of us do anymore. Like I was, 
I was like most recently attending Duke games regularly, but I was also a student where the, you know, for better or worse, like the experience of being a student and going to Cameron is just completely different than when you're a member of the general public. So uh, I encourage people to, to check out the DVR forum for that. And under the broad bucket of if you have conspiracy theories to share with us, please share them. Um, because if nothing else, I like reading your conspiracy theories. Uh, I won't necessarily agree with them, but I do enjoy them. Sam, please don't encourage the crazy. <laughs> no, no. I Look, I, I like getting the window into the, I, I feel like I don't, I don't engage with conspiracy theories enough. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a fairly like grounded person. And uh, I think I should be exposed, exposed more to conspiracy theories. All right, all, right, all right, folks. So when you write to us with your conspiracy theories about what's really going on behind the scenes at Duke basketball, please title those to Sam. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> all right. Like I said, that's going to do Hey, by the way, like and subscribe. In addition to emailing us, go out there, yeah, sure. like the podcast, wherever you're writing, uh, you know, wherever you're doing it, subscribe, give us a, give us a rating, give us a review. We, we want all those things. And, uh, and again, thank you so much to all of you as, as we approach the Christmas holidays. Um, God, it, it is a wonderful gift that we get to continue doing this for all of you and, uh, and, and just doing what we love talking about the Duke basketball team. So uh, for Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Again, episode 367 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. In the books, Duke fans, play us out, take us home. When was the last time you got a massage? It helps with everything. <laughs> it helps like with everything. Your back may still hurt, but you'll feel better about it. Yeah, you just feel better. I I keep I I I need to get a massage. I'm like well overdue for getting a massage. I think it's like I one of the I'm greatest one this things. Week. Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. Maybe I should maybe I'll just go this week. I am going, I am going to get a physical for the first time in three, four years uh this week. Um I think I'm getting to that age where it's where it starts to become like necessary to do it nearly every year, right? They they like t- like I went to the doctor the other day and they're like, "Are you here for your physical?" And I'm like, "No." They're like, "Are you gonna schedule your physical?" I'm like, "Yeah, I, like I already scheduled it for January." So you're not gonna do it today? No, my doctor told me to come for <laughs> something else. Let, like, let me go. <laughs> I'm trying to get to see my doctor. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get back on that train. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the world of being old, Sam. Yeah, exactly. Um, also nice to be back on like uh, cheap corporate health insurance. Yes. Um, but father time um, still undefeated. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I just gotta, I gotta go take care of that. Uh, um, damn. But before we start, uh, South Carolina state, not a chance. They're going to be Duke. <laughs> on Tuesday. Like no, there is save no, it. save it. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be happy to be here. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We got, uh, by the way, uh, do either of you have specific players or anything you want to? No, have you seen? (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Oh, God. This is bad. We're definitely going to lose now. Shut it down. (laughs) Fire everybody. If this ain't the outtake. (laughs) Fire everybody. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh...
If they play- uh, yes, I would like to lead with they are not good at a lot of things. Um, <laughs> that will be what we lead with. If Duke loses this game on Tuesday, I'm trying to think what I have to do. Not get um, a massage. <laughs> yeah, you have to I might have, massage. To, I might have to go get a massage immediately after this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, they did beat. They did beat South Florida. Question mark. South Florida's yeah. ranked like two fifty. Yeah, that's not that's that's punching above your weight class. They play a notable hundred points of- higher than South Carolina State. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> really, like literally. <laughs> 250 is like aspirational for them. <laughs> they did beat St. Andrews Presbyterian. <laughs> Not a Division One school. They beat. I was going to say, which is the, uh, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the uh, private school that was next door to my high school. <laughs>